welcome to Atari Bytes, the show where we take a bite out of the story within a classic Atari 2600 game, and occasionally a 7800 game, and see if that story bites us back. My name is Bill, this is episode 150. Thanks for listening. Welcome back, everybody. The podcast studio is extra bubbly today. Uh, the fish tank is going crazy. I, I don't know if there's a party going on in there. So apologies for that if you're getting sort of a, a, a bubbly vibe. Uh, through your headphones, but you know, uh, it just makes it feel sort of exotic and tropical, doesn't it? Kind of like, um, well, and that's Bug scratching, so you can hear her collar jingling, uh, never mind that. But the little bubbly thing, it's kind of like um, Charlie and Grandpa Joe uh, floating up in the uh, the fizzy, drinking the fizzy lifting drink in uh, the Willy Wonka movie, right? And kind of floating up to, the, uh, to be chopped into fish bait as Grandpa Joe puts it, um, in the fan above, which I thought was a dark turn for the movie. Uh, you know, the next 45 minutes is just the Oompa Loompas scrubbing blood and uh, tissue off the walls of the, uh, of the uh, room there. But, you know, the movie's a beloved children's classic, so who am I to question it? Uh, anyway, let's get on with this week's show. And here's how we usually do that. Gonna prove that the world is flat In his rocket ship Or else he'll go splat He's Mad Mike Hughes Mad Mike Hughes Okay, so the most recent post from Mad Mike was November 25th. Getting ready for my next big announcement, all caps. Stay tuned. And then we have a picture of what appears to be a rocket or part of a rocket on a trailer. And that's all we get, a little teaser. That was uh, a week ago. Um, One of the comments is a screenshot of Wiley Coyote uh, having strapped himself to an Acme rocket. Uh, That seems appropriate. So I don't know what the big announcement is, but, you know, stay tuned, I guess. Here, I'll ask Google. Do we still like Google? It seems like they've uh, they, they've had some public relations problems of late. Uh, the uh, the sexual harassment thing. They're apparently cozying up to China. Yeah, so they got some problems. I don't know. Are we supposed to hate Google now? Their search engine is pretty handy. Well, nothing new really comes up on Google. Uh, I guess we just need to stay tuned. But uh, as of this recording, the Earth still a bit ball. But you know, stand by. Thus concludes this week's. Mad Mike Hughes update. Gonna prove that the world is flat in his rocket ship, or else he'll go splat. He's Mad Mike Hughes. Mad Mike Hughes. Alright, as I'm recording, there's no other big news, at least that I feel compelled to talk about on the podcast. The big uh, news story right now is uh, George H.W. Bush passed away. Uh, at age 94, I think, 95. So, of course, it's always um, it's always an interesting historical landmark when a president passes away. It makes you think about where you're at in history, you know, and how time passes and all of that. The um, the tributes and the comments that have come out about Bush, uh, and I think to some extent, frankly, this happens every time a president passes away. But uh, the the uh, tributes always are, are noting that this particular president, in this case, Bush 41 really united America, or at least not America, possibly, but united the parties, if not in ideologies, in, in the ability to work together on things. 
they refer to, to Bush 41 as a, a moderate who could work both sides of the aisle. Um, you know, and that that is remarkable. Not to get into politics here, but that's not really something we see much anymore. So uh, I guess that is notable. So yeah, so Bush 41 has passed away. Yeah, uh, I don't want to go too far into politics. I think I'll just leave it there. And that's it for the news bag this week. Let's get on to this week's game. This week's game is... That's right, everybody. We've climbed into the time machine, and we're traveling through the time vortex into Atari Future to play an Atari 7800 game. This one is called Karateka from Broderbund, 1988, at least the Atari port. But Bill, you say, what is this strange word, Karateka? Please explain it to me. Well, a Karateka simply is uh, someone who does karate, or karate. But Bill, you say, and by now the people around you are worried about your sanity because you're talking to your podcasting device. But Bill, you say, ignoring them, how do you play this game? Well, I will tell you. So you look at the manual, oh, it's a good place to start, and they maybe are a bit overconfident because right there on the front cover, they announce in big bold letters that this game is a super game. I'm not sure what that's supposed to imply, that it's super in the sense of it rises above all other games in power and strength, or it's super in the sense of, this is just the funnest game. Or maybe both. I don't know. So we're told the setup for the game is, you've just scaled a treacherous cliff to the castle of Akuma, the evil warlord who burned your village and has kidnapped your bride-to-be. Now you stand before a massive gate. The first of many powerful palace guards blocks your way. Beyond looms Akuma's palace, where Princess Mariko languishes. Has anyone ever languished? Can you explain to me how that works? Is this something beyond, you know, just being really relaxed, chilling with Netflix? But anyway, Princess Mariko is languishing. You, game player, unnamed game player, must save her from Akuma's cruel clutches. Your only weapon, karate. Or karate. I, I don't care which one you use. Remain calm. Focus your will on your goat. On your goat. Focus your will on your goat. Bah! I should really wear my glasses when I read these. Remain calm and focus your will on your goal. That is the way of the Karateka. So to get started with the game, you put the cartridge into the Atari 7800. I've tried playing it without putting it in the 7800. Not as fun. Plug in the controller, controllers. Here's a little preview. I tried for initially to play the game with uh, a Genesis controller and my trusty Atladin adapter, and it would not play at all. Now, having said that, again, this is uh, jumping ahead. When I played it with the uh, crappy original Atari 7800 controller, it was not much better. Uh, I don't know if that was pilot error or hardware, or software for that matter, but presumably you got to use the 7800 original 7800 controller. Put the game in, turn it on, duh, and then playing the game. You start the game in the standing position facing the first palace guard. The red arrows at the bottom left of the screen tell you how many karate hits you can withstand. Each time you get hit, you lose an arrow. When you avoid getting hit, your arrow supply is gradually increased. If you lose all your arrows, you lose the game. The blue arrows at the bottom right of the screen tell how many 
uh, hits that the uh, guard can withstand. Each time you hit the, your opponent, he loses an arrow. When he is not getting hit, his arrow supply is refilled. When all the blue arrows are gone, the uh, enemy is defeated. You can vary your game difficulty level by using the left uh, switch in the front of the console. Putting the uh, switch in the left to the left decreases game difficulty. Putting the switch to the right increases game difficulty. Uh, that's all pretty self-evident. The game ends when you defeat all the palace guards or you lose your last arrow. Survival tips. You face the guards one at a time. If you don't fight, your opponent advances to attack you. Each guard has a unique karate skill, and guards get tougher as you move farther into the palace. When you defeat an enemy, run forward to face a new opponent. Beware of danger when standing or running. If in these positions, you're unprotected. One blow from a guard will destroy you. Then they give you a little chart uh, showing how to move your controller to do various kicks and hits and things. So you start, your original position is standing, uh, you assume a fighting stance and run forward, and your controller options are to press the button right and move the handle right. If your original position is in a fighting stance, to advance, you hold down the left button and move the handle to the right. To retreat, run away! You hold down the left button and move the handle to the left. To kick, move the handle to the right. To kick high, move the handle to the upper right. To kick low, move the handle to the lower right. Punch, move handle left, punch right, uh, punch high, move handle to the upper left, punch low, move handle to the lower left. And then to resume the standing position, you press the right button. That's it. That's the entire manual. Although I will tell you that in practice, it's a bit more complicated than that. So the game originally came out in 1984. The game was created by Jordan Mechner, uh, his first published game created while attending Yale University. Originally it was programmed for the Apple II, then ported all over the place. Uh, published in North America by Broderbund, and in Europe by Anklosoft, along with Swashbuckler 1982, Karate Champ 1984, and Yi Air Kung Fu 1985, Karateka was one of the earliest fighting games. It was ported, like I said, all over the place, including the 8-bit, Atari 8-bit in 85, Commodore 64 in 85, 788. A 2000 13 remake, spearheaded by Mechner, was released in 2013 as a downloadable title for the Xbox 360, Microsoft Windows, PlayStation 3, and iOS. When Mechner was creating this game at Yale, he started with a copy of Choplifter provided by Broderbund after he had submitted uh, some games to them. Choplifter at that time was a top-selling game for Broderbund, and Mechner recognized from the game that he could pursue original game concepts instead of having to remake existing titles. He used some of the graphic features of Choplifter as a starting point, uh, created a karate-themed game uh, because he had he was a film student, he was in several film clubs, and had actually studied karate. His goal was to create fluid animations with the Apple II's 8 frames per second capacity, but was hampered by the presence of additional on-screen elements such as one of the palace gates. He couldn't figure out how to animate and play music, limited to one-tone notes at the same time, forcing him to adapt to these limitations. He used rotoscoping, a process of hand-drawing cartoons superimposed atop each frame of film, of his karate instructor demonstrating various moves. Mechter credits his father creating the music for the game. Uh, it took about two years to complete the game and then submitted it to Broderbund uh, during his sophomore year at Yale. As of 1987, it was Broderbund's best-selling Commodore game. Reviewers, though, criticized the player's necessity to restart from the beginning when defeated and said the Apple II version has by far the best animation I've ever seen in an Apple arcade game. The smoothest smoothness of the animation makes the game almost, almost enjoyable, as enjoyable to watch as it is to play. Antic in 1986 liked its cartoon quality graphics. Although often critical of the often slow joystick control system, the magazine concluded that Karateka was fun and extremely addicting. 
Atari Protos notes that at the time, in the mid-80s, Karateka was one of the finest side-scrolling fighting games ever to grace the Apple, and quickly became the, must, the must-have game of the year. It was also famous for its deadly ending, in which the player can be killed by the very person he's trying to save, the beautiful Princess Mariko. If the player approaches the princess while still in his fighting stance, she will kick and kill him. The only way to win the game is to run into her arms. One has to wonder how many people threw the joysticks at the screen of frustration after being killed that way. Protoss notes that uh, the game was released from many other ports, and then, unfortunately, for the 7800, saying that the idea to do so was good, but the execution was terrible. They skimped on the graphics and made the controls needlessly complicated. Along with bad controls and questionable colors, there are numerous collision detection issues that make hitting your opponent at close range nearly impossible, as well as choppy animation and missing graphical extras, which is a recipe for disaster. VideoGameGeek.com finds the game to be extremely disappointing, lackluster graphics and audio, could have been overcome by great gameplay, but it plays even worse than it looks and sounds. Poor control feel, uh, the control scheme for two-button joystick is very clunky and in some regards counterintuitive. Karateka is an acknowledged classic computer game, and you know, the, the reviewer isn't questioning that, and notes that uh, he's never played any of the other versions, only the 7800 one, which is the same boat I'm in. I've never played this game before at all, and certainly not on any of the other versions. For enjoyment, uh, they give it 4 out of 10, replay value 4 out of 10, graphics 5 out of 10, sound 5 out of 10, and documentation 5 out of 10. Uh, knowing that the manual is brief and lacks interior illustrations, but is otherwise adequate. Karate, for those are, who are wondering, is a martial art developed in the Ryukyu Kingdom from the indigenous Ryukyuan martial arts. It's now predominantly a striking art using punching, kicking, knee strikes, elbow strikes, and open hand techniques such as knife hands, spear hands, and palm heel strikes. Historically and in some modern styles, grappling throws, joint locks, restraints, and vital point strikes are also taught. A karate practitioner is called a karateka. The Ryukyu Kingdom was annexed by Japan in 1879. Karate was brought to Japanese to the uh, Japanese archipelago in the early 20th century during a time of migration, as Raikuans, I'm sure I'm butchering that pronunciation, especially from Okinawa, looked for work in Japan. It was simple, uh, systematically taught in Japan after the Taisho era. The martial arts movies, uh, the martial arts movies of the 60s and 70s, served to greatly increase the popularity of martial arts around the world. And in English, the word karate began to be used in a generic way to refer to all striking-based Oriental martial arts. On 28 September 2015, karate was featured on a short list along with baseball, softball, skateboarding, surfing, and sports climbing to be considered for inclusion in the 2020 Summer Olympics. On 1st of June 2016, the International Olympic Committee's Executive Board announced they were supporting the inclusion of all five sports, counting baseball and softball as only one sport, for inclusion in the 2020 Games. If anyone knows what happened to that bid to put these games in the Olympics in 2020, let me know, because I'm not sure. Okay, so I thought about it for a second, realized that me telling you to go look this thing up, I could look up right now myself, was incredibly lazy, uh, bad podcasting on my part. So I went ahead and looked it up. So apparently uh, it has been confirmed that karate will be in the 2020 Olympics, which are being held in Tokyo. All right, well, let's get on with things. After the break, we roundhouse kick into the rest of the episode. Hiya! If only you could see me in my karate gi. It's got a cape. That's a thing, right? Karate outfit with a cape? Right?
tired of your current boring job where there's almost no chance of dying or being killed in a strange place in your pajamas? Stop by Kevin's Karateka Kiosk at North Park South East Mall and we'll sign you up for a rewarding career as a fighting machine doomed to die at the hands of an evil warrior. Visit us today, only $19.95 for consultation. Alright, so we're playing Karateka. Let's get the carnage over with. This intro is roughly 18 minutes long, so I'm going to go grab a sandwich. High atop a craggy cliff, guarded by an army of fierce warriors, stands the fortress of the evil warlord Akuma. Deep in the darkest dungeons of the castle, Akuma gloats over his lovely captive, the princess Mariko. You are one trained in the way of karateka. Oh, karate. A karateka. Alone and unarmed, you must defeat Akuma and rescue the beautiful Mariko. Jeez, this is like Star Wars Episode Four level uh, making you read stuff. Uh, put fear and self-concern behind you. Focus your will on your objective. Accepting Earth. Sorry. Accepting death as a possibility. This is the way of the karateka. Can I karate chop somebody yet or not? Oh, good. Alright, so I've been playing this game a little bit this morning. I was impressed immediately with how it looks. Um, the, uh, the the characters are rendered really well. Uh, you definitely get a Japanese feel from the, uh, from the setting. You got, I guess that's a mountain. Hey, you stay on your side. I'm not ready yet. Chop, chop, chop. Chop, chop, chop. That's all him, by the way. I'm not doing anything except getting into fighting stance and he punches me in the face. I find these controls really hard to use. I'm, and now I'm dead. The end. I have to use the uh, the crappy original controller that came with the console. I have two of them. One of them, the right button is frozen in place, so it's useless. The other one, all the buttons work, but I can't make my guy do very much. I can sort of force him into a fighting stance. Occasionally I can get him to kick, maybe punch, but not necessarily when I want him to, just by relentlessly pressing the buttons. Um... I tried my Genesis controller with the uh, Ed Ladin adapter, and it didn't do anything. Um, Alright, so this guy's getting in my space, all up in my business. And now he punched me in the face, punch, punch, punch. I like the little explosion of fire that comes out when he punches you in the face. That's kind of nice. And now I'm dead again. Man! This is bad for my self-esteem. Alright, I'll try it again. In fighting stance. Oh. Punch. Do something. Hey, a punch. Alright. How'd I do that? Yeah. Now if only I was making contact with the guy. There I go. Take that. Hey, don't punch me there. And now I'm dead again. Alright. We'll try this one more time. Yeah. Check out that action. High kick. High kick. Wait. Boom. At least let me land one punch. Come on. Dang it. I think I have a feeling how my review for this game is going to go. Not to spoil anything. Alright. While I gather up my pride, retie my sash on my gi, back to you in the studio. Hey Atari fans, this is Michael, one of the hosts of the Atari XEGS Cart by Cart podcast. Join Bill, David, Kieran, and myself as we review cartridge-based games for the Atari's last answer to the 8-bit gaming system, as well as delve deep into their history. 
Kira will also introduce everyone to the UK's budget games. You can listen to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, Player FM, or from our website at xegs8bit.com. That's xegs, the number 8, bit.com. Hey, it's the holiday season, which means it's time once again to tell you that in addition to the stories you hear every week on this podcast, I also write books. And one of those is called In the Saint Nick of Time, which is a holiday-themed story, go figure, in which Santa Claus himself is burned out. He's tired of being Santa. He quits. He ends up in the town of Santa Claus, Indiana, which is a real place, where he meets up with Cameron Jones, a famous author who is having his own troubles. He's fighting with his ex-wife over custody with their child. He is suffering a bout of writer's block and a bout of something else, which is causing him to have long conversations with a foul-mouthed, hallucinated goldfish. Cameron's buddy, Dogwater Hunt, has his own issues. Dogwater is an avowed conspiracy theorist and a multiple alien abductee. He is convinced that aliens are going to visit Earth once again on Christmas Eve, and he is intent on catching one. These three men are thrown together during the holiday season, and because it's a Christmas story, of course they have to save Christmas as we know it. But of course they learn a little bit about themselves and about friendship along the way. Now, this is a book in which Santa Claus appears, but it is not a Santa story for kids. This one is aimed squarely at adults, mostly because I looked around and thought, huh, nobody has really written a novel with a real-life Santa for adults. So I thought I would change that. In the Saint Nick of Time is my attempt to give adults the Santa that they didn't know they were missing. Go check it out. You can get the book wherever you order your books. All I ask is that you please leave a review at that place so that other people can see what you thought and so that they can find the book a little bit easier, not to mention the fact that it makes me feel better about myself. All right, well, happy holidays. So here's the thing about Karateka. I agree with those reviews, basically. I think everyone, you know, sort of the informal uh, comments I've heard over the years about people mentioning this game uh, is that it's just an awful game. It looks pretty good. Uh, I can't speak for how it looks on the other ports, having never played them, but I think it looks okay on the uh, 7800 version. It just doesn't play well. Uh, granted, I didn't give it a whole lot of time today. And with some of these games, it's not really fair to base your opinion on just a few minutes. But I tried a bunch of times, and I could not, I, I couldn't land a single punch. I could barely get the guy to punch, period. Much less land a punch before Palace Guard punched me in the throat and killed me. Over and over and over again. Kind of like life, really. Uh, metaphorically being punched in the throat a lot. Um, wow, that was dark. Anyway, I find the game very frustrating. As good as it looks, uh, as um, psychically pleasurable it is occasionally to virtually beat some guys up in a video game. Uh, like, uh, well, for 7800, I have Double Dragon, and my kid likes to play that. And, and it is fun to just get your guy in there and kind of uh, mess, uh, um, mix it up a little bit you know, with some other uh, fake guys. It's all fake, of course, but uh, it, it's sort of uh, psychically relieving. Um, this game doesn't do that. This game is just frustrating. So that was, that was disappointing. All right, well, let's get on to this week's story. This week's story is called... Uh, I don't know. I didn't write down a title. Let's call it um, The True Game of Life. No, that's terrible. Let's call it... Let's call it Punch Drunk for Your Love. I'm writing that down. That's what I'm going with for right now. No, I'm not. That's terrible too. Let's call it... I wrote it down, looked at it, and thought, no, that's awful. 
Let's call it playing with my heart. Alright, I don't like that title either, but you know what? I got things to do, so let's get on with this recording. The big problem with being imprisoned in the castle of evil warlord Akuma, not to be confused with the benevolent warlord Daisy May, and the so-so warlord Epic Shrug, is not the being imprisoned part. No, the real problem is in Henetsuki, traditional Japanese badminton. If you hit an errant shot with your Higoita, Higoita, a wooden paddle, the Hene, or shuttlecock, sails right off the cliff into the ocean below. Damn it, Princess Mariko said, probably in Japanese, looking over the edge of the cliff. Lost another one. Hey, are we playing or not? Called Barry, who probably wouldn't be named Barry. Mariko's fellow captive and Hanatsuki, master, called from the other side of the net. He had been imprisoned here at the castle when Akuma had taken issue with a report Barry authored charting the decrease of samurai warriors' loyalty from 100% just a few years ago to no more than 73% today. I guess it's game over, man, Mariko said. That was our last Hane. Mariko and Barry headed across the exercise compound toward the castle commissary. Far below on a rocky outcrop of the cliff, Ed, who probably wouldn't be named Ed, clutched the lost Hane, cradling it like a lover. The same move that had gotten Ed banned from Shield Sporting Goods, but never mind that right now. Ed gazed up the cliffside. I'm coming, my love, he vowed. With renewed vigor, he started to climb. Mariko and Barry, meanwhile, had free run of the castle despite their captivity, and especially enjoyed the game room. Today, they opted to play Menko, a card-flipping game where you use brightly colored decorated cards to flip, to flip over your opponent's cards. Sure, it's a children's game, but Mariko and Barry had already read every book in the castle library, including a weird futuristic fantasy novel about a giant dinosaur that destroys Japan. Like that could ever happen. A loud thud from the hallway disrupted the game. What was that? Barry asked as he flipped one of Mariko's cards with a little origami bird drawn on it. Yes! Mariko just shrugged at the noise as she flipped three of Barry's cards in quick succession. Menko was totally Mariko's game. Akuma's guards sprinted past the open game room door. Will you be attending Nogeku this evening? Mariko asked. I hear the new opera contains excellent monotone chanting. I thought I might, Barry said. I hope we can get seats. Well, there is only two of us here, Mariko pointed out. Now the guards were shouting to each other about getting some other person. Perhaps they were playing a feudal Japanese form of tag. If we can't get seats, Barry said, perhaps we can go dancing. Mariko's features took on a wistful look. My boyfriend liked to dance, she said. He had many excellent moves. Outside the game room, the guards could be heard punching and kicking, many of them crashing to the floor. Look, Barry said, holding up an origami paper swan. I made this for you. He shyly handed the artwork to Mariko. Mariko looked at it for a moment and said, It looks like a penguin. It's a swan, Barry said a little awkwardly. I've never seen a penguin. Whatever, Mariko said and tossed the paper aside. My boyfriend liked to play Kamari. Do you play Kamari? Of course, Barry said, but I don't catch very well. I was much better at sumo wrestling. My boyfriend liked to wrestle, Mariko said, giggling. At that moment, the paper-thin wall of the game room tore away as Ed dove through, locked in a death match with one of Akuma's men. They plowed into the gaming table as Barry and Princess Mariko scrambled out of the way, and cards scattered across the room. Ed rolled onto his knees and took out the guard twice his size with a well-timed squat kick. Then he finished the guard with a brutal throat punch. My darling, Ed said, I finally found you. Princess Mariko, dazed, and turned to Barry. 
A quick round of Jansen, if you please. Barry was bewildered to play fetal Japanese rock, paper, scissors at this moment, but went along. As Ed looked on, arms outstretched for the delayed hug, the game proceeded. Seisho Wagu, Mariko said, though she probably pronounced it a lot better than your narrator. Barry said it as well, which means, and it means, starting with rock. Then they shouted, Junkin Pong, and threw out their moves. Mariko's scissors cut Barry's paper. Then she shrugged. Mariko reached for a katana concealed under the gaming table and deftly ran Ed through with it. As he died, she shouted, That's for making me lose the Menko game! Barry opted to attend the Nogaku solo that night. And that's our show. Thanks to Kevin McLeod and Comptech.com for Creative Commons' use of his songs, Reformat, Take a Chance, and Pinball Spring. Thanks also to Mike Mann for his Mad Mike Hughes update theme. You can find Atari Bytes on many podcatchers, which you know because you did. Um, we're on Stitcher, we're on iHeartRadio, Google Play Music, Spotify, Julie's House of Podcasts, if there is such a thing. But make sure wherever you go to listen to this thing that you still roundhouse a review of the show over on Apple Podcasts. Then kick anyone you know who won't listen to the show. Just kidding. Maybe. But only if they really deserve it. You can also support the show financially at the Atari Bytes Patreon page. B-Y-T-E-S, by the way, is how you spell Bytes. And I will thank you profusely for doing so. There are still some Atari Bytes items, mugs and shirts and whatnot, on Zazzle.com, but I am still thinking about uh, revamping the, uh, the inventory over there. If you have thoughts of things you would like to see, or maybe what you would like on a t-shirt, let me know. I am open to suggestions. The website is ataribytes.libson.com. You can email the show at ataribytes2016 at gmail.com. Like the Atari Bytes Facebook page. Follow the show on Twitter at Atari Bytes. Or follow me personally at Carnival of Glee. We're also on Instagram, and occasionally I am compelled to post a weird photo or two over there. Also, when you're done listening to this, don't forget to check out my other show. It's a podcast, Charlie Brown, for all your Peanuts gang needs. You love Snoopy and Charlie Brown. You know you do, and you certainly know other people who do. So spread the love for It's a Podcast, Charlie Brown, to everyone you know. Because, seriously, we talk about everything. Um, the comic strip, certainly. The animated TV specials, definitely. The movies. The merchandise. The uh, philosophy and theology behind the Peanuts characters that people have found. Last month, we even had an interview with uh, author and illustrator Jason Youngbluth, who wrote a graphic novel imagining the Peanuts characters as adults. Seriously, we cover it all over there. There will be something that you like. New episodes drop on the 15th of every month. Thanks for checking it out. Next time on Atari Bytes, we head back to the 2600 in our time machine to play Enduro. Which, even though I'm looking at the word and I'm pronouncing it correctly, when I hear it out loud, it doesn't sound like I'm saying it right. It's kind of weird. But I will have to live with that weirdness for the next week. So until next time, go play some old games. They've missed you. Oh, 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 oh,
Thank you.